Welcome to One Move at a Time, the U.S. chess podcast that explores people and organizations who are advancing our educational mission to empower people, enrich lives, and enhance communities through chess. Our goal is to give you ideas and methods you can use in your own community to help you build chess in your area, one move at a time. Make sure to listen to our family of U.S. chess podcasts, which include cover stories with Chess Life on the first Tuesday of each month, in which Chess Life editor John Hartman goes more in-depth with each month's cover story, Ladies' Night, which drops on the third Tuesday of each month, and that is hosted by our Women's Program Director, Jennifer Shahadi, and on the fourth Tuesday of each month, Chess Underground, hosted by our Assistant Director of National Events, Pete Karyanis, in which he examines the game's eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. All can be found at the podcast link on Chess Life Online at uschess.org, or by subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Now, let's welcome our guest to this month's podcast. Welcome to the March edition of One Move at a Time. Our guest today is Tyler Schwartz, the co-founder of Chess at Three and Storytime Chess. Both companies use an original story-based method to teach chess to children as young as three years old. This innovative method is explained in Tyler's 2018 TED Talk, Can Three-Year-Olds Play Chess? Tyler is also a professional magician and currently performs in Speakeasy Magic, and that's magic with a K at the end, at the McKittrick Hotel alongside the best music, uh, magicians in New York City. Tyler Schwartz, welcome to the One Move at a Time podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Dan. It's wonderful to have you. We'll, we'll talk about where we met uh, about five years ago, and I've been wanting to have you on the show uh, for the longest time, so I'm glad we were finally able to make it work. And let's start at the beginning with you about what is your chess history? How did you get into chess? Who taught you? All that good stuff. So I'll tell the full story of how I, I got into it because it's, it's, it's unusual. Um, I was working for Jazz at Lincoln Center back, it must have been in 2005, and I was uh, uh, moving stuff in a truck with a guy that worked for there. And he said, you know, if you want to be friends with the people in the Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra, they all play chess. Um, so if you can play chess, they'll love you. And I was attending new school university at the time, and I was set to take music lessons with Ted Nash, who is a member of the orchestra. And so I started learning chess so I could converse with him about the subject because it had been revealed that he liked it. So, um, I worked as a doorman in a jazz club at that time. So I bought some chess puzzle books. This was before cell phones and before you could just watch hours and hours of YouTube, I did puzzle books. I still remember my first discovered attack puzzle of, you know, that was a big aha moment. Like, oh my gosh, the knight isn't looking at the king. Now the rook is. You know, that was, um, that, those puzzle books took me through hours and hours and hours. Um, and then probably the most important thing is I walked into the village chess shop, um, now closed, but it operated at 230 Thompson Street. The chess form across the street is still there. But um, I walked into the chess shop and just found a wonderful world of um, where you can just be yourself um, and full of very, very eclectic um, and uh, um, unusual people, uh, uh, which I say with, with, with affection and which I would count myself as the same classification. The ties between chess and music have, have long been known. I, I imagine that the jazz musicians you, you worked with um, 
had had this natural affinity for the game? There's a lot of crossovers between um, music and chess. Um, I guess the 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 clearest one for me is like your ability to just practice and and study and do the work. Um, that was always something that I was I was uh, just naturally able to do. And so when I came across something like chess, where that was a big part of it, I was naturally attracted to it because I was able to do that hard work. I was able to, like I said, like do the puzzles, uh, study games, and uh, I saw you know improvement because of that. Now, are, are you a lifelong New Yorker? I moved here when I was eighteen for uh, to go to the new school. I came from Chicago, uh, the suburbs, and I've been here ever since. I just turned thirty-seven. And so that's half my life in, in New York. Uh, that, that's uh, New York behind me. This is one of my favorite photos I've ever ever taken of, of the city. Based on what you just described about your beginning in chess, that means that you had no chess history in Chicago, which has uh, a fairly active chess scene itself. Correct. No, no ex- chess experience before I was, um, I would say, 20 years old. New York is actually where you and I first met. And it was at that 2016 World Chess Championship where we were both covering yes. it. I was covering it for US Chess. You were covering it for, I believe, Lee Chess is is my understanding. Correct. Um, yep. What are your memories of that that particular event, which shockingly is now half a decade in our past? Yep, man, that was so much fun. I had uh, I had a great time covering that. That was, um, I believe, the first time that site had covered a world championship like that. I, I believe um, uh, I just emailed them on on behalf of Lee Chess and said, "Hey, you know, can I get a press pass?" And they said, "Yep." And I said, "Okay, let's let's do it." Um, Lee Chess was kind of more the Wild West back then, and um, kind of you know before it turned into the incredibly popular site that it is now. Um, and uh, yeah, I I would write the articles um, at the at the event. Um, I believe the the game analysis was actually done by King Crusher. Um, I'm not particularly strong. I'm like 1900 on a good day, um, but I was able to kind of make it. I felt like what I did really well is I was able to make a narrative of of the match and turn it into a story. So it wasn't just this game was won, this game was lost, this game. Uh, well, this game was a draw. This game was a draw. Um, you know, uh, I really enjoyed kind of taking the narrative out of what of what was happening and, and conveying that through our coverage. And I was also thinking about it because the, I don't remember who it was, but it, it, it's it's now relevant again. It was one of Putin's deputies visited that match. Do you happen to remember who it was? It was it was a higher up. I don't know if he was a press official or. I have just remembered you as blonde haired guy. I, 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 if if I'm able to figure this out, uh, I think I've actually got a picture that I took of him. Um, I can include it with the show notes. Um, oh wow! But of course, Karyakin, uh, as a Russian, was was playing in that event, and so that, yep. that generated a lot of um, a lot of interest at the time. Now, I think I also shared with you why you stood out to me uh, when we first met. Do you remember me telling you this little story? You have to remind. It's it's ringing a bell. <laughs> okay, so it's no sh- no surprise that those of us in the chess world, when we think of fashion at all, we just think of it in the most conservative of terms. And but you jumped out because you were dressed in this very fashion forward way, and I remember looking at you and saying, "Man, this this guy's really pulling off this look." 
But if I wore the exact same outfit, even if it was tailored for myself, I would just look like a clown. Oh. So, so kudos to you for, for that. Oh, it was, thanks. It, yeah. Uh, is, is fashion something you, you think of? Uh, I noticed him when I looked at your TED talk, you, you dress very sharply. Thank you. That, I, uh, I, I appreciate that. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, I, I know that when I got married, I bought a really great suit from Tom Brown, um, who's known for having like very short sleeves and pants. And it's, it's, an, it's an odd look. If you pull it off, which I, I hope I do, um, it, it, you look really cool. Um, uh, and you know, before my wedding, I'm like, um, my wife is a fashion designer, by the way. So uh. the answer should probably be because uh, her. But I was like, I don't know. This is our wedding. The suit's kind of crazy. She said, just buy it. Um, and I just hang out at the J. Crew suit shop. I kind of do what other people tell me. Um, it's <laughs> uh, uh, I, I definitely don't have. Um, I, I, I do think it, I love, I love wearing a suit. I'm very comfortable in a suit. Um, and, uh, but, uh, thank you. I, 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 I didn't really remember that, but, uh, apparently compliments, uh, all, <laughs> I just remember, you know, oh, the coffee was bad. This was bad. And, and, uh, the, the, whatever compliments I got just go right out of my head. And of course, as I'm praising you for your high sense of fashion, you're, you're wearing a t-shirt right now. Um, yes. but it's actually, uh, appropriate because this is the main thing I want to talk to you about is story time chess and chess at three. Um, I, I sketched some notes about some of the things that have been happening with story time. So l- let me read these before I Go get ahead. into the first questions. Um, you know, that 2021 was not a banner year for most things, but it was for story time chess. Um, you know, it, it's, it's been described as groundbreaking chess set that uses stories to teach chess to ages three and up. And by the way, you you mentioned about how you liked to tell stories when you were covering for elite chess. So I, I that seems to be a theme for you throughout. Last February, the game won the highly coveted Toy of the Year People's Choice Award. And then later in the year, the American Specialty Toy Retailing Association presented Storytime Chess with its Best Toys for Kids Award. And that brought the company's list of industry awards to over a dozen since you launched it in 2019. And then towards the end of the year, you even made it onto TV on the Today Show, and you were selected as one of Time's 100 Best Inventions of 2021. So this this is a big deal. You're talking about an extraordinarily competitive industry. And so to, to make that kind of breakthrough is remarkable. So... For people who are not familiar with Storytime Chess, who aren't familiar with Chess at Three, talk about it. Talk about the genesis, what it is, what the difference is between the two titles. Sure. Um, yeah, I'll tell you how I first came up with the the whole idea is when I was playing chess at the chess shop. Um, I was also playing chess at, at night at the Marshall Chess Club. And I got a call from a, a woman who said, can you teach chess to my three and five-year-old? She went through the chess shop. And they said, we have, a new, we have a new kid working here. We'll send him. When I got there, I realized it wasn't her three and five-year-old. It was three two five-year-olds at the biggest preschool in Manhattan. It was seven classes of, of preschoolers. And so I said, sure, I'll, get, I'll give it a try, you know? And um, I did some research on, it was a, uh, still is a Montessori preschool. Um, it's called the Washington Market School. And um, I did research on Montessori methods. What? what is this? What, how can I be successful here? And, um, 
And so I came in thinking, okay, if I just teach the king, just a whole lesson about the king, surely that I can do that. Three-year-olds can do that. And I got to the first class and I sat down and I said, this is uh, the king and it moves one square at a time. And a kid just raised his hand and asked, why? <laughs> and I had no answer. I mean, it's, it's, it's such an uh, audacious question of like, why? Like, I'm a kid, you're a grown up, you're presenting me with information. I, I instantly don't accept and need an explanation. Um, and so I just said, that's, it's, it, just do it. You know, it's chess. And of course, that class hated chess. Um, I went to the next class, same thing. This is the king, he moves one square at a time. The child asked why. And I said, I'll tell you why. Uh, I have an answer. It's because this is a game. Games need rules. It's a foundational principle of games. This is one of those rules, the simplest rule. Now do it. And of course, those kids hated chess more than the first class. Um, and so I kept going through these classes, and they all hated chess because I was explaining it in this way. When I got to the last class, um, I sat down. I said, this is the king. He moves one square at a time. A kid asked why. And I said, it's because he's afraid of everything. Out of no plan, no you know, pre-lesson plan. I just said, he's, he's afraid. And the kid asked, what? And the teachers all kind of watched me. ask, like, what? What are you doing? And I said, yeah, this is, um, this is King Shaky. Uh, he's uh, uh, the black king, and he's afraid of uh, bees, trees, stinky cheese, and his own knees. And everywhere he goes, he tiptoes because he's afraid of grass. Now you show me how you think he likes to move. And a child picked up the black king and moved him one square at a time like this. Like, you know, oh, I'm so scared. Oh, I'll move one square. And so that was uh, the, the real aha moment when I figured out that I could teach chess to kids by telling stories. And those stories allow the child to figure out the rules on their own and discover them rather than being told them. Um, and so I took this core principle of stories that explain chess to children and extrapolated it. I wrote a rule for everything. Um, now we have 60 chess lessons that teach everything through these kind of stories from how the chess pieces move to, um, castling to sportsmanship. That's the really tough one is if you can get a three-year-old playing chess, but then they lose and you say they have to shake hands. They ask why we just don't say, Hey, do it or else you're in trouble. We have a story that, um, uh, earnestly explains to them why shaking hands, even when you feel bad is an important thing to do. Um, so that was back in, gosh, probably 2009. Um, and that curriculum now is uh, what Chess at Three, which is a tutoring company, uses to uh, teach chess to kids. We have over 100 tutors in New York. Um, and one of the reasons we're able to have so many tutors is because we don't well, we hire chess players if, if, they're, if they're engaging, but we hire stand-up comedians, we ha hire actors, we hire um, people who are engaging because those are the kind of people that can teach three and four and five-year-olds. It's easier to teach them how to play chess than it is to teach chess players how to be engaging. Um, last year, Chess at Three did um, 30,000 lessons in, in New York City. Um, and so that same curriculum, we decided, hey, let's put this in a board game, and that's what you know, we were talking about earlier story time chess. Um, this is a, a little bit earlier version of the game, but um, you can see here, this is the, the scared king who 
you know, tiptoes, tiptoes everywhere he goes. They, they were originally King Fisher and King Spassky, by the way. Uh, but we, we changed those so uh, estates wouldn't come knocking at our door. Um, <laughs> and and uh, we've sold 150,000 games to this point. Um, we got in Barnes & Noble last year, and we are in talks with other big retailers now. But we are seeing um, uh, a great interest in growth, not just because kids are able to understand it, but moms and dads are able to teach chess to their kids, even if they don't know how to play chess. So that's what we really guarantee is that the child will have fun, but also the teacher is going to have fun as well. You're telling a fun story and the kid is engaged with you and you feel like you're really um, teaching them something great and then you're learning it as well. So it's a fascinating story. And you know, congratulations on the, on the success that you've had with it to, to, to date. Um, Thank you. The way you talk about coming up with the teaching method suggests that you have some kind of specialized background in early childhood education, but I didn't see anything like that in your notes. Um, is this just something you feel like you have a natural affinity for? Yeah, I, I don't have any formal ed- educational training. I would say um, I really didn't enjoy school very much. Um, uh, I, I have um, ADHD, and that was not really diagnosed until I was an adult. And I felt very, um, I can only explain it like I, I would walk into school and I would just say, I disagree with this whole premise. <laughs> I don't really want to be here. And so that gives me now a, a real passion to, to reach little Tyler that is out there that is in school and not enjoying it. And um, when they come across a chess of three lesson or a story time chess lesson, I know that the four-year-old me would have had so much fun, <laughs> um, would have just loved it, eaten it up. Um, the lessons are really silly. Um, they're not, you know, serious. Uh, they're, they're really fun. Um, and I, I think it's, it was that kind of frustrating experience I had with school that gave me the real need and passion to want to explain things to kids in a way that they would enjoy it. And as, as the actual game was developed and the, um, it was, it's being reviewed by, uh, you know, toy industries has bringing teachers in or people who have more formal training to analyze or look at it been part of it, or is this still completely outside of the educational mainstream? I don't really understand the question. Well, I, I let, do you have any teachers on staff? Any, anybody who reviews it from a uh, formal perspective? I mean, that's kind of me. I'm, I'm, I mean, we have a couple teachers that are like 2,100, but Sorry, <laughs> this happens. We we are building a TV screen in a TV studio in here, and then the the lights go up. There they come. Um, um, you know, when you're teaching three, four, five year olds, this is one of the main reasons why I uh, co-founded Chess Through with my friend John Sieber, was because he was an actor. And when I was teaching all these young kids, I would play chess at night at the Marshall, and I would teach three, four, five year olds in, in the day. And even though they both involved chess. They were very separate things that I was doing. I wasn't using, you know, I was, by the way, I was playing in the U1500 at the Marshall. I'm not playing, you know, <laughs> Joel Benjamin or anyone. No, um, I, I'm, I'm even at, 
at that, I was, it's, it's such a different skill that I knew that my friend, John, who was not a chess player, I had a feeling that if I gave him my curriculum, he would be able to teach chess as good as me because he had that foundational skill, which is being able to tell engaging stories, not being able to play the Sicilian dragon or, uh, you know, memorize end games or see just the aforementioned discovered attack. Um, and so through our 60 lessons, I've been the, the, for the most part, the chess, um, uh, um, authority for it. And is, is John still involved in the company? Absolutely. Yep. Um, yep. He's, I, uh, had a couple meetings with him yesterday. And uh, you, you talked about how many people are, are working as, as tutors. Uh, is this all just in New York City metropolitan area, or have you expanded outside of the state? We've expanded. We have a hub in LA, um, but with COVID, we did a lot of online lessons. We were able to shift everything to lead chess and, and do that very seamlessly. Um, and so as a result of that, we have a lot of teachers that just teach digital and live all over the states. And since you've been teaching three-year-olds now for uh, you know what it sounds like sounds like about thirteen years since you started this. Um, yep, I'm, I'm curious about something that I once read about teaching kids before kindergarten how to read. Hmm. And what they what they found is that while you can certainly teach kids between the ages of say three and five how to read and they are going to be way ahead of kindergartners and first graders who are only learning in those years. By the time they get to be about eight or nine, everybody has evened out. Do you find that there's any similarity with uh, your kids that started learning chess at the age of three and four? Yeah. I mean, I would say that a child, if they don't start later, they definitely have the ability to catch up very quickly. Um, You know, our, our goal has never been to make grandmasters. We want children to, when they hear the word chess, for their eyes to light up and to associate that with an extremely fun part of their day that they want to get back to. Um, and so while we have had students that have gotten um, very good um, after you know going through our program and then going on to our STARS program, which is our kind of more advanced uh, 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 curriculum. Um, we don't, it's not really our goal. Our goal is for these three-year-olds and four-year-olds to think of chess in a different way than our current culture thinks of it in a lot of ways, which has gotten better over the past two years, by the way. <laughs> This would be a good time to tell people uh, how to find uh, the game online and uh, and Chess at Three. What, what are the websites? Sure. Uh, chess at Three.com, StorytimeChess.com. Um, you can buy games on our website. We have a story. Uh, we have the, the first you know board game here, and then we have storybooks two and three. That's 10 more stories in each book. Um, and then we have puzzle books activity books, uh, and coloring books for, for each series as well. Um, we are working, uh, on, uh, I think I could say, yeah, we're, we're, we're developing storytime backgammon, 
um, currently internally and Storytime Go as well. Um, hopefully, we'll, those will those will be be out soon as well. And of course, right behind that is Storytime Poker, right? I that's my I really want to do that. <laughs> I I have that curriculum that I I'm, I taught poker to one. I had a, a mom one year that 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 just said, "What take my kids? What do you what What do you want to do with them for?" I said, "I want to teach them poker." And so I played poker one year with four, um, I think they were seven-year-old girls for an hour a week. It was the most fun I've ever had. Um, we, would, I, we would play for a cupcake. I would, buy, I would bring a big cupcake, and whoever won the poker would get the cupcake. And I legitimately tried to win it for the first month, and I didn't win it. <laughs> and then I finally won it. And they're like, you're not really going to take it, are you? I'm like, yes, this is... There's a really funny picture of like me taking this cupcake and all the girls being like, no, it was, uh, I would love to teach that. Well, holy cow. I was just making a silly little joke and you had a legitimate story behind it. <laughs> no, I, 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 it's the most fun I've had teaching kids teaching poker. So I think another fun topic that you and I have in common is we're both driven to distraction by misoriented chessboards. Yes. But let's talk about a little bit about this. Let me set the groundwork for anybody who's relatively new to the chess world listening. And one of the chess, one of the rules of chess is that the lower right-hand corner square needs to be a light colored square. It does make a difference in the setup of the board, but in various media (laughs) where you would think that they could only get it wrong 50% of the time, they get it wrong what seems to me like 75% of the time, although I've not made any kind of formal study of that. Um, I'm surprised you haven't, I, by the way. <laughs> I have ideas for it. We may get into that. Uh, and, and my you know, my 75% guess might just be a confirmation bias type of, yeah. type of deal. But tell me, A, why it bothers you, and do you have any theories as to why it's wrong so often? And I, I do have my own little pet hypothesis on this. Yeah, I mean it's the way I explain it to people is imagine the chessboard is a football field and you have sides A, B, C, D. You can only play from A to C. The end zones can only be A and C. You can't play from B to D. You can switch uh C to A, but you can't do that way. Uh, a lot of people don't know that the the chessboard does have end zones uh that are that are static. Um, I think it's, it's the same thing with like a USB plugging in, right? Like it feels like it should be like 50%, but you're 75%. It just feels like that. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, even when we first designed Storytime Chess, like I said, we, we did a, a, um, kind of a, a thing with a college, uh, where this uh, design students would try to come up with an aesthetic for the game as part of their, uh, of their studies. and the first thing I said was, listen, when you draw a chessboard, please, for the love of all that is good, do it <laughs> like this. Everyone take out your pencils. I want to see, show me your pencils, write this down. The final chessboard was misorientated. It's, it's, I won't have a chessboard on my, on my tombstone because it'll be misoriented. There's no chance that it'll be correct. My personal little hypothesis about why it so many people put a dark square in the bottom right-hand corner is because I think that because most people are right-handed and a dark square is more impressive subconsciously. It just registers on your brain that much more. Hmm. Could be com- 
completely full of it, but that's that's the only thing I've been able to come up with. <laughs> a very elaborate theory, yeah. I have I have no I think I, I also love it in the movies when it's um you can tell that some PA just put pieces on random squares. You know, I have to my poor wife, you know. Are are you married by the way? I am. I think we should found a support group for people who are married to people that notice misorientated chessboards where they can monthly get together and tell each other stories about their significant other who has to stop movies like, wait a second, wait a second, you know, watching Black Hawk Down, like the, the bishops are on the same color, like fake O, you know, I'm out. You know, it's like it's like hearing five, five, five in a movie. Um, it just takes right. takes you out of the moment. Well, it's my wife's favorite reason for rolling her eyes at me. So yeah, I don't want to take that that little uh, guilty pleasure away from her. <laughs> and, but my actually the the when I saw when we became Facebook friends, and then I saw that you dressed up when you're for Halloween <laughs> as a misorientated chessboard because it was the scariest thing you've ever seen. That was the moment when I was like, I didn't know someone else was worse than me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and for me, it's not so much exasperation. I mean, I, I, it, the, the only part that really bothers me is this 50% aspect and the yeah. fact that it doesn't seem to be, it, it's, it, it's baffling to me because it's, it's a perfectly legitimate thing not to know if you don't understand just that who would think that it matters, which uh, yeah. way the, the board is set up. But for those of us who know, yeah. how could it be not closer to 50% or even 60-40. So that that's that's the part that's exasperating to me. And the first time I ever heard you describe the your football field analogy uh, was on another area that you and I have a mutual interest on the podcast, uh, the Adam Carolla show. Ah, yes. Um, uh, you know, it's one of the granddaddies of, of all podcasts. I, I don't think it's any longer the highest rated, especially now that Joe Rogan is out yes. there on Spotify. Uh, but it's still a very... Um, highly rated podcast, and yep. you've—I've heard you a couple of times call in and, and talk chess. Oh, and also um, a, a children's book you wrote. I'd be interested to talk about that as 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 well. Uh, that he gave you some feedback on. I just remembered that as as I'm mentioning it. Yeah. But uh, you talked about misoriented chessboards uh, as as a caller on this highly rated podcast. Uh, talk a little bit about the experience of of calling in, or you. Uh, immediately is someone answering the phone is there a you know is there 15 other people ahead of you yeah so for that i think i just i said i think they just put out on their twitter like they're taking calls for today's show and i called in and i you know i i explained it to them and he said you know that is weird that that it it, it is uh kind of as we say um he he mentions that he likes talking to me because if I'm a chess player, that means I'm smart, and that means he has smart fans, and that it makes him feel smart by by osmosis for having me as as a listener. Um, and he just asked me a lot of questions about chess and was genuinely interested in in the subject. Um, you know about things like, oh, how fast do you play? Uh, uh, I think I called in when I was I, I commentated for the Sharjah leg of the Grand Prix. Um, I called in for that as well. And he asked me, you know, oh, you're a commentator for chess, you know, and he made fun of me and said, oh, you know, that sounds just about like the most boring thing you can do. You know, are you in there with them? Do you have to shush? Uh, so he, it's, it's, it, he could very well just be making fun of me, <laughs> but I will, uh, 
I'll take it. Uh, I've listened to him for a long time and he, he makes me laugh every day. So, um, but after that, yeah, a lot of chess people heard it and, and, and reached out, um, after, after I talked to, about chess on that. Uh, um, and this memory I'm having of a children's book, am I correct that it had to do, I'm probably going to embarrass myself here, but my memory is it had to do with playing right field. Correct. Yeah. I've wrote, uh, nothing has happened with it, but it's a children's book um, based on an analogy that Corolla uses often about how he tries to mentally carry himself, which is as an outfielder with his hands on his knees, ready to go any direction. Uh, he doesn't want to have a, a, a kind of habit or bent one way or another. He wants to be flexible. And so I wrote him a children's book called The Worst Baseball Player Ever. Um, the, the plot of the book was someone who played baseball just to get a participation trophy, and they wanted to keep their uniform nice and clean. Um, <laughs> so they have all these trophies, but they've never actually tried. Uh, and then the, the child figures out that they're, you can win and tries to win and uh, kind of shifts his um, mindset from wanting the world to kind of conform to their um, ideals to um, self-improvement and, and wanting to um, use the structures around you to improve yourself. And I think you did something as well that uh, probably really stroked his ego in that you, you talked about the book's initial, I think you actually read some of it. Mm-hmm. He gave you some feedback you actually incorporated that feedback and called back in and read some more. And I, I, I remember him being very excited about that. Yeah. He, he said, he, I called in, he gave me, it was, it was a new year's show when, uh, I called in and I said, Hey, I want to write you a children's book this year. He goes, okay, well, uh, you know, call, but you know, what, what are your ideals? And one of them was, um, be nice to people named Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> <laughs> was another one. Uh, uh, and, and so I, I wrote it, I called in, he's like, I don't like some of these rhymes, you know, they don't make sense. And I'm like, okay, well, I went back and I changed them and I made them all the same uh, syllables and cleaned it up. And he's like, yeah, it was a lot better. Um, nothing's happened with it. I, he's also kind of expressed that ch- children's books are, and I don't really agree with him, are kind of, and magicians, I think, have this too, of we don't want to do magic or, or literature for kids because we'd rather do it for adults who can understand complex ideas and this. And it, 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 I think they feel like it cheapens it, it to do, to do art for kids, which I have never shared. I've always been like, kids are humans too. They, they need art. They need books. They need everything just like the rest of us do. And, and actually they, they need it more because if we don't give it to them, then they're going to grow up not knowing what that is. So let's give children, art. Let's give them these great books. Um, it's, it's, there's, I, I think they're equal, but, um, so the, the, the story is currently gathering dust in my Google drive. Uh, I would love to do something with it someday. Uh, but, uh, I've been busy with other things as of now. And you, you mentioned magic in your answer just now. You are a professional magician. Um, is this something that's been a lifelong pursuit and, when did you start? As a, did it, just about every kid has had a magic set as a kid. Yep. Uh, so I started this probably about five or six years ago. Um, I bought, I was watching the show Fool Us, um, Penn and Teller Fool Us. And there was a magician named Paul Gertner on. 
who did uh, his signature trick on shuffle. And uh, I was blown away by the trick. Um, and uh, he sells it. Uh, and I, I just remember one day being like, I, my curiosity cannot go unanswered. Like, I need to buy this trick. I want to learn it. Um, un- I, I bought it. Unfortunately, it's just about the hardest trick you can buy. <laughs> I did not know at a time, but it literally took me three years of practice just to be able to perform that trick on, on a baseline professional level. Um, the reason it hasn't been really seen on TV, it's because it is so, so hard that no one wants to perform it <laughs> because there are literally thousands of ways that the trick could go wrong. Um, Can you describe what the illusion is? It's a, it's a, a trick with uh, a, a card trick where there's writing on the side of the deck. Um, and he explains that as you shuffle the cards, messages start to appear. Um, and the word unshuffled appears four times. And then he shuffles it again. And then the word unshuffled just appears two times. Uh, he shuffles the cards again. And then the word unshuffled appears one time. He then shows all the cards and the deck after shuffling is now unshuffled. So the, the order of the cards matches the message on the side. Uh, the spectator is asked to think of a card before the trick began. He shuffles the cards one more time, and then the name of the card appears on the side of the deck. Um, it's, it's, it's an incredible trick. I've, I've got lots of my own versions, and I've used principles from that trick to build other original tricks that I've used in, in shows and professionally. Um, but that... That was the first one. And then um, I just started getting gigs around New York, um, doing magic at, at different places. Um, and then most recently, I've been performing in the show called Speak Easy Magic at the McKittrick Hotel um, in Manhattan, which is awesome. I'm, I'm in it um, most weekends, but everyone should go see it re- regardless of if I'm in it or not, because it's an incredible show. It's, it's the same hotel that has uh, Sleep No More. In it as well, which is an, an incredible live theater, um, interactive performance that takes place over, I believe, uh, I don't know how many stories, but you know, multiple stories. You just wander around and kind of see the play unfold before before your eyes. So it's an incredibly creative place. Um, definitely check out Sleep No More and Speak Easy Magic. And what's the website for buying tickets? Uh, I would just Google the McKittrick Hotel. Um, or sleep no more, speakeasy. That'll that'll definitely take you take you there. Okay, let me. So let me uh, spell McKittrick for our listeners. That's M C K I T T R I C K. I'm glad you did it. <laughs> oh no, it's on my shirt right here. I can confirm. Oh, cool. MC, yep, you got it. <laughs> and the hotel is uh, for anybody that's going to be visiting New York City. It's it's right off the High Line, which is a you know beautiful internationally known. A uh, brand new park in New York City that's well worth a visit. Totally. Um, um, so I want to go back to Adam Carolla for one quick second because sure. I forgot to mention this. I've heard a lot of Adam Carolla impressions. The one you did is probably the best I've ever heard, and I've heard professional impressionists. So oh, is really? this another hidden talent of yours? Do you do I've other never, impressions? That, I've, I've never done a Carolla impression before. I just I, I did it uh, 
Um, I do love doing impressions. One, one of the th- really funny things about the chess shop was all of the ridiculous voices that people would talk in. Um, a lot of which are now politically incorrect, and I've 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 uh, retired. But you know, when I walked in there, my my chess, my first chess teacher, Richard Gilmartin, who who passed away, I believe, in two thousand seven, maybe. You know, I'd be playing a game, and he'd come up next to me and just say like, "Oh, so you're gonna move the pawn? I don't think that's." And I'm like, you know. At first, very annoyed. You know, hey, I'm 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 trying to win here. I don't I don't need you, old man. And then, you know, two two nights later, I'm cooking pasta by myself. Like, oh, this is gonna be delicious. <laughs> you know, I would I I'd become infected by by their voices. Um, I sometimes I just do whole magic sets uh, and an Irish accent. I just sit down and begin, and we'll we'll bring out the cards and the coins, and you just talk a little bit faster. I love um, that one. My my uh, British accent has gotten slightly better um, as we're we're filming a um, we're filming professional uh, uh, versions of all of our lessons and and launching a, a new product shortly um, and so as a result of that I've had to learn a couple of voices that I've used that um, have gone pretty well actually I've I've gone comfortable with them and we'll walk around off just talking like this um, everyone just goes with it if you just do it. Um, and so I, I, I love, love talking in voices. It's, I'm claimed to be not very good at it, but uh, I have used my Christopher Walken impression to get reservations at fancy Manhattan restaurants. I will call the restaurants as Christopher Walken, say like, hi, I need a reservation for Wednesday, please. 8.30, if you could, and they say we're sold out. Can, can you make an exception? I don't want to say, but for a celebrity, and they say, who is it? It's Christopher Walken. Now, uh, can you make it work, please? And they say, this is going to be a, a lot. Uh, uh, and so then they give it to me. And then um, I call later as, as Christopher Walken's assistant and say, he's not feeling very well, but he was going out to dinner with his godson, Tyler Schwartz. Uh, so Tyler will be showing up. Walken is a, is a game time decision. Uh, and then I can just walk in. Uh, so I've used that a couple of times to, to get into places that I shouldn't be. <laughs> okay, you're one of these people who have a lot of very talents because those were all very, very good impressions. Now, so I'm going to put you on the spot here and test your improbabilities. Great. Give us, give us Christopher Walken uh, discovering that the chessboard is misoriented. Okay, we'll just sit down, play a little chess, make a couple moves. Oh, oh no, the board. Misorientated, ninety degrees. <laughs> this happens. Feels like it should be half the time, but to me, it feels much near seventy-five, eighty percent. Someone, please set up the chessboard correctly for once. Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, another uh, thing of interest involves you and a let's just say a masked chess player. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Ah, so I'm going to just let you tell the whole story. This is one of my favorites. Great. Uh, so back in, I believe, 2008, I was in Washington Square Park, which is just a block from the old chess shop. And uh, there was a person wearing an Amp Energy Drink costume. Um, it was it covered their entire body, and they had sleeves and gloves on and, and leggings. Um, and this person in this costume was playing people in chess. And this 
stunt was being filmed for Amp Energy Drink as a, uh, a campaign called, I believe, Amp versus Everything. So they had another iteration where this Amp, which I believe was a different person playing basketball uh, and, and you know being very good at basketball. But today the Amp Energy Drink can was playing chess. So um, at first the can uh, played a single game, a couple games of Blitz and won both of those. Then he played a three-game simul, I believe, and won all of those. And then that's, and this is about when I arrived, they wanted to set up a 10-person simul, of which I was one of the participants. Um, and so it was like a, a half circle around Washington Square Park, and the can would just walk around the back of all the tables and, and, and do a simul. Um, so I played the white pieces. Um, I, it was a Sicilian. Um, Remember, got a good, had a great game. Um, I remembered at one point during the game, I saw a, a, a really great seven move combination that would uh, win a knight at the end of it. it. It was involved rook g7, the bishop takes the rook, then a pawn takes, and then the pawn promotes, and then it's captured by a rook, and then a fork. It was, I don't normally see good things like that that far in advance. I'm more of a three ply gun guy, but uh, this move hit, I made it, and um, then. Wouldn't you know it, I won the game. <laughs> uh, so there, there was a big crowd of people around me. This is all on video, by the way, so you can see it. Um, and I won the game. The, the can resigned. I won $50. Uh, I took a picture with, with the, the person in the can. And um, that was it for a couple of years. I, they, no, no word about who was in the can. Um, uh, it, the, 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 the commercial or... You know, video went up, Amp versus Everything Chess, and showed me explaining things and showed that I won, uh, showed the, the, the can resigning. Um, but I never found out who was in the can. Uh, and it always kind of ate at me because um, why wouldn't it? And then one day I was sitting in my chess club and I, I, I have a friend named Luca who, whenever he is about to make a good move, he does this with his hands, kind of like, ooh, like this. And I hate <laughs> playing him. He's, he's also like 2,100, 2,200, so he's much better than me. But we'll be playing, and he'll do this, and I say, ah, no, I'm, I've learned his mannerisms to the point where I'm emotionally affected by him doing this. I know that something bad is coming. And I thought, man, if Luca were in the can, I would be able to know that it was Luca because he would have done this, and I would have said, aha, Luca, I know that's you because of your mannerisms. Then I thought, what if I was able to do it the other way around? where I could look at the can's mannerisms and see if there are any distinguishing ones and then conduct some research where I look at other people playing chess and see if that matches. And my um, thorough investigation came up with that the can, whoever was playing in it, stuck their pinky out uh, whenever they moved a piece. They're, they're kind of like a, a British person drinking tea or something stick the pinky out like that and, and move the piece. And so I did a screen grab of the hand and I compared it to top grandmasters in, in, in uh, the U.S. at the time. And so uh, my thorough investigations and the, the, have the use of the screen grab in the pinky um, turned out to be an exact match for none other than Hikaru Nakamura. Um, now, of course, I, I was thrilled uh, at my findings, but, uh, this just stayed as like a personal, 
Like, I'm pretty sure that this was Sakara Nakamura. It never came out or anything. And then earlier in 2021, you know, Hikaru became the biggest chess streamer ever. Um, you know, for good reason. He's entertaining, good at chess. I'm a huge fan. Uh, and um, he reacted to the, the Amp versus Everything video and confirmed, like, that was me. Uh, in this and watched the video. Unfortunately, he didn't, he remembered nothing of our game. He just said like, Oh, there's another game. I don't, I don't really remember thinking anything about it. I don't know whether to be, to take that. I don't know how to take that, but, uh, 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 that he didn't remember our game, but, um, it is that brings that memory brings me a lot of joy consistently. Uh, if I'm ever in a bad mood, I could just think of that. Like, you beat Hikaru Nakamura and it's on video. Like it's, it's, I'd imagine if we played a hundred other games, I would lose a hundred. But on that fateful day, I was able to accomplish the impossible. Well, you say you don't know what it means, him not remembering. I, I would argue he does remember the name and it irritates him so much because he is so hyper competitive, which you have to be to be a, a world class grandmaster, that that's, that's all he can accept is that little fiction that he's made up for himself. I will happily take that interpretation. (laughs) (laughs) So Tyler, this has been a lot of fun. We've covered an awful lot of ground. Um, Share one more time uh, the relevant websites. And if people are interested in reaching you either in your capacity as a chess teacher or as a professional magician, how can they find you? Great. So my personal website is Tyler V S N Y C like Tyler versus N Y C. Um, Dot com. You can uh, uh, get in touch with me there. I'm also Tyler versus NYC on Instagram if you want to chat. Um, and then storytimechess.com, chessat3.com. Uh, chessat3 is, is more for, for lessons. If you want private lessons for yourself or for your kids, I would go there. If you want to get Storytime Chess for anyone and everyone, uh, you can get it from our website, storytimechess.com. But we're also in every Barnes & Noble. Uh, and hopefully some other stores that we can announce soon. Um, and if you want to see me uh, at, at the uh, Speak Easy Magic, um, I, would, I would just Google the McKittrick Hotel and Speak Easy Magic, and you can buy, buy tickets for that as well. And I'll remind people, again, the magic in, in Speak Easy Magic is spelled M-A-G-I-C-K. There is yes. that little K at the end of magic. So, Tyler, again, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for appearing on this March edition of One Move at a Time. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us on this edition of One Move at a Time, which always drops on the second Tuesday of each month. Our theme music was composed by National Master Alex King of Memphis, Tennessee. Our podcasts are produced and edited by Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media. Please visit www.sevenseasonfilms.com to find out how to start your own podcast. Our sister podcasts at U.S. Chess are cover stories with Chess Life on the first Tuesday of each month, Ladies' Night, hosted by Women's Program Director Jennifer Shahadi on the third Tuesday of each month, and on the fourth Tuesday, Chess Underground, hosted by our Assistant National Events Director, Pete Karianis. I hope that you have learned something of value that you can now use to help build chess in your own community. We'll be back next month with another Chess World personality who is helping us advance our mission statement to empower people, enrich lives, and enhance communities through chess.